Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket. Are you going to health? That's H-L-T-H. It's the largest and most important conference for health innovation. H-L-T-H, pronounced health, is a one-of-a-kind ecosystem event for the health industry. And they're on a mission to bring together 5,000 plus senior leaders to solve the most pressing problems facing healthcare today and actualize the most promising opportunities to improve health. They bring together senior leaders from across, across payers, providers, employers, investors, fast-growing startups, pharma, policymakers, and innovation centers to ask one question. How do we create the future of health? I'll be there, and I hope to see you there too. If you use Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150 as the promo code, that's Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150, you'll get $150 off your ticket. Looking forward to seeing you there. Go to hlth.com to sign up. That's hlth.com to sign up. Use that promo code, Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150. And I am excited to see you there. I'll even have a booth recording some podcasts live at the event, the MGM in Las Vegas. So, so excited to see you there. If you do sign up, don't be afraid to say hi. And uh, we're going to learn a lot there. So go ahead and sign up, hlth.com. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Ariel Beery. He's the co-founder and chief executive officer at Mobile ODT, a company transforming healthcare by offering a family of smart, AI-powered, internet-connected medical devices that healthcare providers can use at the point of care for a variety of examinations. Their leading product is the Enhanced Visual Assessment, EVA, system for colposcopy, used for women's health services in 26 countries around the world and 31 states in the U.S. Prior to mobile ODT, Ariel served as the global CEO of the Present Tense Group, an accelerator for social ventures he co-founded in 2005 that has launched over 1,000 startups. He's got his BA in economics and political science from Columbia University and a master's in public administration from New York University in management, as well as an MA from NYU in Jewish studies. So Ariel, love, love that you made it on the podcast today and I'm really excited to- Thanks so much. So yeah, Ariel, yeah. Tell, me, tell me what got you into healthcare. Sure. Well, it, was, it was kind of by accident. So my co-founder uh, is a man by the name of Dr. David Levitz, and I've known him. We've known each other. He's been my closest friend since I was 13 years old. And uh, Levitz's background is in biomedical optics and tissue optics. And uh, he came to me one day after working in the lab on this large piece of equipment called the optical coherence tomography system or an OCT system, where he was waiting for tissue samples to get to him to the lab for him to analyze them. And while he was working on this, on, this, on this project for tissue analysis, he was texting me on his Samsung Galaxy 2 phone. This was back in 2011. And he realized he had this, this insight that consumer electronics were getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And for less than $1,000, he could take a bunch of off-the-shelf optical equipment and build an optical coherence tomography system, an OCT system, onto his mobile phone so that his mobile phone could become a mobile lab. And that was mind blowing to him and, and to me. So my background is in, uh, is in social ventures and helping people solve human 
problems with sustainable business solutions. And he came to me to ask, look, I have this idea that I could, instead of having to ship samples to a lab, I can take the lab to wherever the, the samples are. What could I do with this? And for me, what I fell in love with um, then as the global CEO and an, of, of present tense and an investor, his first investor, and then later very quickly as his CEO, when I just you know fell deeper and deeper in love with this opportunity is that um, you have a fundamental assumption in healthcare worldwide that you need to collect samples from patients and transport them through a whole set of different logistics and operational services into a laboratory where those samples need to be reconstituted and, 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 uh, and dyed with reagents and then reviewed by an expert. And that entire process is expensive and it's challenging and it's time consuming and it's fundamentally limited by the logistical infrastructure of any given location. So women in rural areas or women in emerging markets who currently rely upon an infrastructure for the pap smear or for biopsies are simply not getting screened or, or treated or diagnosed. Uh, and, and so what, what uh, got me to fall in love with this and, and get involved in, in this business and, and, and through that in healthcare is, is that opportunity to fundamentally transform the way that healthcare is provided by taking the lab to the patient as opposed to taking the patient's tissue and transporting it to a lab. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating um, journey. And uh, you, you went from hearing the idea from a friend to now the CEO. Uh, you guys have traction, you know, the, the topic of rural care and the bottom billion, right? Whether it be in the US or, or, or anywhere in the, in the, in the world. It's, it's, it's important, right? Giving access to people. And, and so taking the lab to the patient seems to be a logical progression. Tell us about how you guys have made a difference and maybe provide an example or two. Sure, absolutely. I mean, so it, it's, the, the opportunity here is, is quite dramatic. That is, you know, in many of the countries that we, wor we work right now, our EVA system, our enhanced visual assessment system is being used in 42 countries as of, as of you know, today. And in many of the countries in which we work, whether it be Nepal or in, uh, in rural areas across Southeast Asia or Latin America or rural areas across the United States, there simply aren't enough experts and there aren't enough logistical services to enable for women to be screened. So for you know, a simple example, one of the ones that we're, we're very proud of, with our work and partners in Alaska, the state of Alaska basically has a handful of gynecologists for all of that territory, all that large territory, American territory. And you'd think that in the United States of America, women would not need to be concerned about their women's health visits, right? So uh, we, we focused, our first application has been in cervical cancer and women's health. And so when we started working with uh, the, the state of Alaska, the, the initial concept was how do we bring a, a simple, inexpensive, mobile medical device for use in, in women's health examinations and colposcopy. But very quickly, what we realized, it wasn't just about the, the transportation of the device so that the clinician could do what she's been doing for years, which is get on a plane and fly a few hours in order to hold a clinic. It was, it, it, we, we quickly learned that what that clinician could do, she had one for herself, obviously, but also she gave one to her, to the nurse that runs the clinic when, when that uh, gynecologist is not present, then 
through our system, she's able to provide live teleconsultation and telesupport for telecolposcopy. So instead of having to set up clinic, you know, once a month or once every three months, and then if a woman misses her, her appointment, then, you know, she's out of luck. Now, across the state of Alaska, women are able to know that they are always, uh, they can always come to receive quality care. And that's that. You take that and, and multiply it out by the countries that that we work in, right? So whether it be in Nepal or in rural areas of India or across uh, across Africa, uh, different countries, eleven countries in Africa and the African continent, you know, the the opportunity here is to transform the way the opportunity horizon for women accessing care. That's powerful, Ariel, and you know. The assumption that uh, all that logistics and that the things that you mentioned early in the podcast have to happen is sort of the fundamentally flawed assumption, and so yeah. uh, it's exciting. It's exciting that you yeah, guys and, are and, taking advantage. And you know, of that. and what's and what's what's been even cooler is that so we started off basically realizing that you know, the, the question of tissue analysis is is a main question for for diagnosis for diagnostics in general, right? I mean, almost every diagnostic test ends up with a biopsy being taken and reviewed. But if you can predict just by imaging the tissue what the outcome of the biopsy would be, then you can cut down the vast amount of false positives that, that exist. And in doing so, you can focus your resources on getting only the true positive women to get the treatment that they need. Well, the breakthrough that we had about two years ago that we've been working through since is that because our EVA system is cloud-connected and smart, so not only is used as a standard of care medical device, it's 510K approved, it's C-marked, it's approved in Australia and Korea and Thailand and Vietnam and, and onward and onward, but it's not only just a medical device that's smart and cloud-connected, it also became a learning system because the clinicians that were there on the ground were using it for standard of care examination of women. They would then take biopsies for those women that they thought were positive. They would send them to the lab. They'd input them into our system because our system is used to help manage care. And then what happened is we were able to build a, a continuous learning system. So about a year ago, the, Ameri uh, the uh, American National Cancer Institute of the National Institutes of Health was able to validate that, our, that a, a classifier, an AI that we built based on this database is more accurate at predicting the outcomes of the biopsy than the most standard of care liquid-based cytology pap smear out in the market, right? So what that means is that anywhere that you can take one of our EVA systems and, and take a picture, you can get on the spot an analysis that currently requires an amazing amount of infrastructure to be able to deliver it to patients. So where that becomes transformative and, and where that becomes incredibly exciting is not only obviously from the from, from the access to care side, meaning, yeah, an AI at a point of care for cervix, it will ensure that the billion women who are not currently getting screened for cervical cancer get screened. And, and by the way, you know, that's why cervical cancer is a leading cause of death for women worldwide, despite the fact that you can literally treat it in less than 10 minutes. So it's easier to treat than strep throat, and yet it's a leading cause of death for women around the world. So that's very exciting. And, and that, that is transformative in terms of the millions of lives that are going to be saved just by applying our system with the AI to expand care, but then take it a step further, right? So, so the step further on top of that is that not only are you able to address cervical cancer, but because you're, you're using a, a, a smart connected medical device at the point of care, what you also are doing are enabling nurses, technicians 
to operate at the top of their license, that is to do procedures that until now they weren't able to do, which means you're also expanding the workforce, which means that you're not only enabling tests to get to patients, you're also enabling more people to provide women's health services. And there are all the ancillary services on top of that that are so very important for women of reproductive age and for their children that currently simply are not supported due to the current uh, health economics associated with healthcare provision in, in, in these remote and rural areas around the world. So that, that, is, that is a fascinating catalyst for ongoing healthcare transformation. And financially, obviously, that opportunity here is tremendous. So one of the, one of the big biases that, that folks um, have about emerging markets that I think are important to, to address is that people say, well, you know, so great, so you're working in rural areas and, and people don't have money there anyway. So let's focus on something that is more, you know, has a higher margin for, for, for profit. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it because the, the fact is that people around the world not only pay for their health care, and many of them pay out of pocket, um, but also there's, a, there's an emerging middle class worldwide that demands to have the same level of health care services as, as anyone else, and they deserve it. And so if you can provide a test that is inexpensive enough on a per, per patient basis, and AI is, is almost as inexpensive as it can get, because you literally take a picture, you get an analysis, you don't need to collect tissue, put it in a bucket, send it to a lab, reconstitute it, pay for reagents, pay for a cytopathologist, you know, all, that's, all those costs go away. So if you can provide a low cost test to billions of people around the planet, you can build an amazingly profitable business and save the most lives as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting idea, uh, Ariel, that you guys are executing on, and <clears throat> I think it's interesting the shift from a from a lab based test to an image based test, with this with the with the equivalent or better outcome. Uh, you really start to think about you know that moment when your you know your partner, your friend reached out to you and just said, "I can't believe this," you know, the technology is yeah is there, yeah. it's there, you know, and um, you guys have taken a step beyond with the cloud. So um, awesome work. Uh, what would you say has been one of your biggest setbacks? You know, tell us about that and what you learned from it. Sure. Well, so I think that there, there are obviously a number of, right, and building any, any business and building any organization always has so many interdependencies and unknowns that you're always kind of, you know, swimming against the tide in order to be able to get to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. um, we've had significant challenges in understanding the regulatory pathway for AI. And, and now there's just a lot of questions as to how a diagnosis um, is regulated. Um, it, the American system is, is making it clearer and clearer. And so, you know, we're, we're very confident about our ability to deliver uh, just because we have more data than than one would need for any type of clinical trial. I mean, you know, we have 1,500 systems that are collecting data every day. So, you know, our, 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 our database is growing by the thousands a day. And that's, you know, that's um, the numbers that we need. That's more than enough to be able to run any regulatory process. But, you know, the, everyone's trying to figure out with this new emerging field of, uh, of AI-based diagnostics, how you ensure quality and reproducibility and so on. So that's been challenging for us. And I think that we're, we're almost at the end of that. Uh, fundraising uh, has been very challenging. So, you know, the, the traditional capital markets are uh, focused on healthcare uh, provision in the United States and maybe Western Europe. And, and, you know, when, 
when uh, the, the venture capital community thinks about what a good exit is, they think about a multiple of revenue from the United States and Western Europe. So to convince the capital markets that uh, global business has significant uh, opportunity, especially with the way that there's that, that healthcare spending is shifting, uh, has been very challenging. And, you know, we are constantly uh, looking for and building up our base of individuals who believe in emerging markets and the opportunities there. And I think that the, the last one is that, you know, the, um, there has historically been a, uh, 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 kind of cut off between devices, diagnostics and software service. So, you know, when you go into large industry, industrial settings, there are diagnostics companies, there are devices companies, and then there are software service, health IT companies. Yeah. And we mesh them together. And the reason we mesh them together, and we believe that this is the future of, of healthcare provision, is that if you're a software service, you depend on someone inputting the data. If you're a device, you depend on someone doing the analysis. And if you're doing the analysis, you depend on someone giving you the data, and then providing it back to the, to, the, uh, to the patient. But if you are a holistic solution and you can do it all on a mobile device that can be taken anywhere that a mobile phone could be taken and use it literally without even having to think on a frictionless basis, you, you observe a patient in the standard of care way, the system does the analysis and you get the answer and all of it just works. Well, that's the greatest value you can provide. But mm -hmm. traditional industry, because of its silos, has had difficulty understanding, you know, where are we? Are we, you know, are we chicken? Are we fish? Are we fowl? Right? I mean, it's, it's challenging to, 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 to categorize and silo. But I think that that's you know, a shift that the industry is going to go through in the coming years. It's already started, of course, but I think it's going to shift where people are going to realize that a device is just part of the puzzle. You really need the device, you need the diagnostic, you need the IT, you need to mesh them together in order for things to, to in order to provide the value-based care that we all want to provide. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, that's an interesting call out and, and uh, certainly a, you know, the, the device space. I mean, and, and to your point, you guys are, I don't know, I would classify you guys as a, as a, as a imaging diagnostics company. Right. But, but so you're right. So, but, but you can look at it and you will, you can look at it any which way. So, you know, one of the, one of the dirty secrets of the AI industry is that the AI industry in, in healthcare is that the AI industry depends on other people's data and, uh, and other people's data needs to come from other devices. Yep. And what that means is that those device manufacturers very easily could watermark the data, can ship the data with random, random uh, interjections in order to break another diagnostics company's ability to make sense of the data. So let's say right now that you're a, you know, you're a, a promising team of, of machine learning engineers, data science engineers, you want to go into radiology imaging because that's what everyone's doing. And, you know, you can come up with a bunch of stuff with the 510K and put out an AI that can detect something, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you're depending on Siemens and GE and Medtronic doing what they've been doing for the past few years. And Siemens and GE and Medtronic are not dumb. They know that they can make a lot more money by gatekeeping access to their data. Mm -hmm. So they can decide to throttle that up or down whenever you want. So, you know, without having that, that, without having that gate, you're no longer the gate, you know, you're, you're depending on the gatekeeper. 
And so that, that, that is a challenge. So, you know, so I don't think we're not really a, a, an image analysis company because we have the whole end to end. We're full stack. And that's, that is where, you know, so you, know, you could say, oh, well, you're a smart device company and, and we are, and we're also an image analysis company. It's absolutely true. But we also integrate into the electronic medical records. And the reason we do that is we need to have the continuous learning loop, right? Because we want to be able to grow in our, in our classifiers, in our, in our AI's ability to detect different types of disease, to standardize our, our measurements over time in, in different types of communities and different types of procedures. So, so that full, that holistic view, I think, is where everyone is going to go in a few years, but it, it's going to take time for the industry to get there. Yeah, Ariel, that's fair, man. You know, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad you, you, uh, you provided that insight because in the end, it's not really, we all tend to want a pigeonhole things so that we can sure. hit the easy understanding button right but the reality is it's not that simple anymore and and we right. gotta we gotta think deeper and broader if we're gonna make right. insights I, like you guys are making and i think yeah and i think that i think that healthcare has had challenges in doing that i mean you know ask yourself you know a, a, a question that's a pretty simple question right is uber a software company is it a logistics company is it a cab company is it a marketing company you know what what is uber you know and and you you uber is a solution a a person who interacts with uber assumes that the second that they open up the app it's just going to work they're just going to get that car and that car is going to be routed in the right way and it's going to bring them to where they need to go and if they decide to you know to pull it then they'll get there within a certain period of time and the price is going to be estimated correctly and, and so on and so forth for Uber to do that, it needed to do so much on things that have nothing to do with software, right? Yep. And, and, and with, with, with medical, we, you know, we've, we, for one reason or another, have not, because of the way that the industry is more conservative and because people's lives are at, at risk, and so we need to be very, very, very careful in any changes that we make, and because of the way that the, the, the structure of incentives are built from a regulatory and quality management system perspective, there are, have been challenges in thinking about a, a company as part of a solution. So mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, so take, take Kolposky companies, the ones that we would compete with, right? So they build really good colposcopes. That's what they do. And so if you're comparing our colposcope to their colposcope, it's comparing two colposcopes, right? So a device company that looks at it says, oh, well, that's, that, that's a long-range microscope. That's a long-range microscope. Let's just compare them on how, how they are. But a colposcope, any device, is used as part of a procedure. And as being part of a procedure, that procedure has everything to do with who the provider is, who the patient is, where they are, how long the procedure is, what are the possible complications, where the procedure needs to go next, what are the possible outcomes of where that procedure goes next? And, and there's just so much that you think holistically that a, that a technology orient, orientation and a solution orientation could solve if it thinks broader. And I think that we're in a really exciting moment as healthcare starts to kind of catch wind of this. And I'm looking forward to, to the industry starting to think about how does it solve for problems, not how does it give tools to people to do what they've done so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good good way to uh, to put it. So, if you if you had to say, Ariel, your one most exciting project or focus you're working on today, what is it? 
it's launching the per click in emerging markets. I think that the, you know, the, for, for us and for, for, uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, not a no brainer, but it's a straightforward process. We know what we need to do. We know how to get there. We know how much revenues we'll get from it and so on. But I think that the real thing that I'm excited about is take, you know, take India where, where we work. So in, in, in India, out of the 430 million women that should be screened every year, the estimates are that at the most 40 million, 50 million are screened annually, right? Now, mm -hmm. so you, we have the ability, and the reason is that just the labs are difficult, blood transportation is difficult. There's a whole host of things that, that are blocking, and because of that, more than 100,000 women die every year of this disease that is literally can be treated on the spot in less than 10 minutes, right? So, so I think that the opportunity in, in India, where we're launching our AI in, uh, in, in the end of this year, we've already been doing prospective studies and showing great, great accuracy, significantly higher than the pap smear, significantly higher than the pap smear. Um, so, you know, in those countries <coughs> where you have the ability to 10x the number of women who are screened, and to save hundreds of thousands of, of lives a year, that is extraordinary. And you know, every mm -hmm. one of the things that's exciting about being being at, at our company is that you know, when we come in the morning, we know that that a minimum of a hundred lives have been saved yesterday because of the use of our technology. Because of the use of our technology in those places where there just are no alternatives. Yeah, that's definitely moving for sure. And you guys are making a difference. So, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love companies that are making a splash like yours and, you know, changing things for the better, questioning current models. And so uh, let's, let's go through the lightning round that we have here. Uh, and then uh, we'll touch on a book that you recommend to the listeners, capturing some of the, some of the essence of, of what we've covered already. Sound good? Absolutely. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes, Ariel? By focusing on the outcomes. <laughs> focusing on the solution <laughs> that brings the outcomes, not trying to replicate or incrementally change what's being doing, done today. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Uh, Undercapitalizing. Um, you know, people always say it and you never believe it, but always take more money than you're offered. Um, the, the dilution is definitely worth it. Good call. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? By working hand in hand with your partners and customers. Uh, you should always develop a solution for the people who are furthering that solution. One thing that we remember at Mobile AT is that we build the tools for health providers to save lives. So we, we depend on them for us to do our job. What would you say is the area of focus that drives everything at Mobile ODT? save as many lives as quickly as possible. That's our mission. That's what we live and breathe. And you're definitely doing that. Um, these next two are more on a personal note. What's your number one health habit? I <laughs> uh, started intermittent, intermittent fasting recently and I love it. Oh, nice. Nice. And, and so what is that? How do you do it? Uh, you eat only eight hours a day. So there's, you know, between 12 uh, noon and 8 p.m., and then the rest of the day, you just drink water and I have coffee. But for me, you know, I, I travel quite a bit, unfortunately. And, and as part of that, I go across lots of time zones, east and west. And when you're on a plane all the time and running from meeting to meeting, you kind of just, you know, eat whatever is available. And, and what this has given me is a discipline to recognize what I put into my body and, and what that effect will be.
So is so you can only eat between twelve and eight p.m. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, some okay. people do more, some people do less. You know, yeah. but but I do you know twelve and eight, which means at eight p.m. stop eating, no matter where I am in the world, and only start eating again uh, noon the next day. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, and, it, is pretty cool. <laughs> it makes you think, right? Like food is one of those things that's kind of goes on autopilot, and um, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, the last one here, Ariel, is what is your number one success habit? Uh, I don't even know. Uh, just not <laughs> not giving up. I think that you know the um, you know the building a company is a brutal, brutal, brutal process in which everyone's going to tell you that it's not possible. You get rejected literally thirty times a day, and you know the the. It's not about believing that you are right. It's believing in what is the right thing to do. And that is the critical aspect. It's being open to people's criticism, understanding that when someone's rejecting you, they're doing that for a whole host of reasons and you need to learn from each time. And recognizing that, you know, I don't like the idea of the, the it's, not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I think that's not true. I think that you know, that life is a relay race. And as you go through that relay race, you're learning and learning and learning. And, and as you learn, you improve, uh, hopefully. And so uh, I think that that, that ha the habit that I have, I guess, and all that is just being okay with being down sometimes. There's, yeah. You know, that's the price you pay for, for trying to climb to the next level. Hmm. Love that, man. It's powerful. Uh, what book would you recommend to the listeners, Ariel? So the book that I, I've read pretty religiously since I got it is The Hard Thing About the Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Yeah. Uh -huh. It has nothing to do with healthcare, um, but it is, he, has, he has a line in there uh, that you know, I, I've, I've quoted regularly, which is that uh, when he was an entrepreneur, he'd slept like a baby, which means he woke up every two hours crying. And that, <laughs> that line is a, it's a great line. And, and it, it, what, it, what it basically, you know, for me, what it encapsulates, I'm, I'm the father of two right now. And, you know, nice. I've seen this, you know, on my kids, but, but what, what it encapsulates for, for me is that um, we have a, a short period of time on this earth to build stuff that matters. And if what we seek to do in our lifespan is to, to, to leave behind the world, a world that is better than the one that we were born into, it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be something that, you know, you go to sleep and sleep soundly and wake up the next morning and just believe everything will be great. You know, the, the, the job of the entrepreneur, the job of the leader, the job of the builder is to build. And building is hard. You're going to tear your muscles. You're going to sweat. You're going to go home aching. You're going to wake up hardly. But you got to do what you got to do in order to build that thing that makes the world better. And so that book for me gave me a lot of perspective in making me recognize that, you know, that, that I'm not alone in how I feel when I build. And, and I think that it's critical for folks to remember that, you know, we, I, and it sounds kind of weird to say it, but I think that we give, we give too much, um, too much weight sometimes to our momentary happiness and not enough weight to the satisfaction that one gets from a job well done. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Some, some, some very well thought out uh, uh, philosophies there, Ariel. Appreciate you sharing those. And I couldn't agree more. And uh, <laughs> I love the quote. <laughs> yeah that's a great quote that's a, that's a great You're one. brilliant guy uh -huh. yeah um folks go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar type in ariel beery that's b-e-e-r-y or type in mobile o-d-t 
for the entire transcript of our conversation today, including links to the book as well as Ariel's company. Um, Ariel, take us home. Give us a closing thought and the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you to continue the conversation. Sure. Uh, closing thought is that if, if you wake up in the morning and realize that the work you've done has saved a life, has given a mother the opportunity to kiss her kids and take care of her family. If you wake up in the morning and recognize that you've done that little thing that took him that little step that makes the world incrementally and then later through those ripples massively better, then I think that you can go, go to sleep that night even in pain and even with, with your personal uh, challenges knowing that, that your life is worth living. And so I, I hope that everyone out there that, that is thinking about healthcare and thinking about the work that they can do um, to, to improve people's lives is recognizing how deeply impactful they can be and probably already are. And so I appreciate very much all of, all of your work, Saul, and all of the work of the people out there to improve people's lives and well-being. And uh, I look forward to being in touch. Just, you know, you always email me directly, feel free, ab at mobileodt.com. Awesome. And that's, and that's alpha bravo at mobileodt.com, right? That's okay. Outstanding. That's, we'll include yeah. that in the show notes as well, folks. Uh, man, take up Ariel on that. Uh, he's making a, he's making a big splash here and whether you be a venture capital, uh, listening to this or, or a potential partner, uh, we do this to make outcomes better. And so, uh, looking forward to you guys taking advantage of this connection. Ariel, thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. Have a great day.